I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. Uh, We're a good two and a half weeks, no, three weeks into the season. So, uh... With me to talk about all things baseball is Valley Senior MLB writer David Brown. David, how are you? Hi, Andy. I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm feeling rushed because everything has a pitch clock now. That's right. I don't know, I don't know if you watched any of the scintillating Cubs-A's game this afternoon. Uh, I've seen uh, highlights. Yes. I didn't watch. The did you hear? Game. Did you hear the Mark Katze highlights? He said some naughty words that were broadcast out over Marquee and. Uh, NBC Sports Bay Area. So Aledmus Diaz got rung up for a uh, pitch clock violation. I guess a batter clock violation. Right. Um, I don't know. It was like a 2-2 pitch. Or it would have been a 2-2 pitch. And Aledmus had, I, I think he just hit a foul ball funny and he hurt his thumb. So right. he had backed out of the box to uh, attend to his thumb, and the old clock kept ticking. And um, when he got rung up, uh, Mark Katze came out and was explaining it um, using um, words that started with B and ended with shit, and uh, words that started with F, and we got to hear it all. It was pretty good. Well, I'm glad somebody is... Uh or glad isn't the word, but I'm I'm not surprised that uh, somebody is getting mad at the when baseball things happen, you know, and these pauses come up. I think maybe we've discussed in the past uh, some players having reservations about, uh, you know, like the uh, the Trout Otani at bats in the uh, WBC, you know, that weren't subject to the pitch clock that. You, know, you you let the play breathe a little bit more, but there's also things like this where somebody will you know you'll get a stinger on your hand from a foul ball or something, and you you'll need a little bit more time. And again, I, I ask I ask this when they they put in the the pitch clock rules. Why couldn't the umpires just keep the game moving in the first place? I mean, it's it it should be within their purview. You know, and and again here with with more rules, they're still not really doing it. They're they're keeping the game moving, but at not keeping you know the context of what's happening in the game uh, in right. uh, in their within their decision. And I don't uh, know if I don't know if Ledmus had already used his timeout. Um, if he hadn't, then you would think at least the umpire would have just granted it, considering you could see him over there trying to 
you know, pull his thumb back into place. Right. Cubs ran into another thing on Friday night in Cody Bellinger's return to Dodger Stadium. Fans gave him a standing ovation, and he got a pitch clock violation because he wasn't in the box. Uh, He decided not to be rude and ignore his former fans. (laughs) And so he started his first at-bat at Dodger Stadium as a Cub with a strike. It's like, okay, I would think that in in certain circumstances, the umpire could simply give a quick signal to whoever to just reset the clock. Just start it over. You don't do that once a week, once a game. Who the hell is ever going to notice? Right. I I think we have uh, already made up like an entire season's worth of standing around and doing nothing in games, uh, you know, over the full six month schedule. We've already made up that time. We're way ahead now. Uh, The the games, you know, somebody played a a double header in about four hours the other day. Maybe it was the White Sox and Phillies. I'm not sure. It was, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we're doing great on the time. You know, we can we can take a break for someone who has a uh, you know, buzzy bees in his thumbs or or whatever, or a, a, an ovation. It's just, it's like uh, I, I I think it's the umpires uh, doing a power trip. I I'm not sure. I I don't know. I don't know what it is. If if they're just they're afraid to to not go by the book and uh, you know they they are in the past. You know, like I said, they, they haven't really been good at moving the game along because here we are, but they certainly will stick their nose into things and, you know, become the story uh, on other occasions. And to me, I think that's maybe what's going on here. I think they're uh, they're bucking for I mean, I, I just. You know, I think they're they're trying to get more money or they're, they're something. Well, you can't tell me they're worried about getting in trouble for getting calls wrong, considering. Laz Diaz and Angel Hernandez and people like that still exist. So, sure. yeah, it's got to just be, you know, you're going to make us do this. This is, what we're, this is how we're going to do it. Love it or lump it. Um, because, you know, the overall effect of the pitch clock, I think, has been uh, has been great. It is, it's so yeah. nice to figure you can just budget two and a half hours of your time and see an entire baseball game. I mean, there are things I miss. I, you know, I, I wish Felix Pa were still around and we could watch him grab his balls with both hands somehow before every pitch. That was always fun. But he wouldn't have time to do that anymore. Poor guy. I would. I, I kind of wish this had come in when Nomar was still playing, oh boy. so we could watch him literally pass out from not being able to to fuck with the Velcro on his gloves for thirty right. seconds between every pitch for no reason. Could he have gotten a medical exemption for that? I would think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'll be the next thing. I mean, we know half the t- half the league, at least, is on Ritalin. <laughs> right, at some point, right. one of them's going to show up with a doctor's note and just hand it to the umpire and be like, you can't rush me, bro. It's kind of like uh, Engelberg and uh, <laughs> Bad News Bears. And he's like, just don't stop, stop making, or stop telling me about yeah. my weight. My doctor says it doesn't do any good. That's the same thing. Right. Just not That's why I'm sat in the first place. Um, well, the umpires were also, they, uh, Max Scherzer got tossed today for having sticky fingers. He swears up and down it was simply rosin and sweat. I swear on my kids. Yep, my kids' eyes. Kids. It, was, it was like he was a, turning it into a mafioso or yeah. something. Did he swear on the kids' uh, blue eyes or green eyes? 
I, both of them. Yeah. So whatever whatever color that makes when you combine them. Uh, I uh, And I suspect, I, I just said so on Twitter, that Phil Cuzzy doesn't really know what he's doing when it comes to checking, you know, he, that Phil is, does not know the difference between uh, rosin and sweat and, and whatever he thinks Scherzer might have. Didn't Phil his... say they were the stickiest hands he'd ever, he'd ever <laughs> checked? I don't want to know, but... Uh, yeah, he's been the guy all three times, I guess, for these for these uh, recent picky oh, violations. So it's like Phil's, you know, got a playbook that other people don't have. I don't know. I, I just based on his uh, history getting other things wrong, um, which is well documented. I, I don't, you know, I don't believe him. I think he's uh, making it up. Really, it, doesn't it seem like? There could there should be something more sophisticated, like a black Anything. light or something. They get to wave over yeah. their hands. Oh, can you like imagine a, like a concert? Like, like a my brother used to have these like furry concert posters with like neon stuff on them, and he had a black light for his bedroom. Right. He could turn that on; everything would glow. And then You're you didn't want to bring... look at it. You didn't want to look at his comforter either. <laughs> they tell you that to bring one uh, when you go traveling to a hotel, yeah. and you'd be absolutely appalled. Yeah. At what you'll find on the yeah. bed and where you'll find yeah. things like on the ceiling <laughs> right so you know apply one of those to to max scherzer or someone else and uh, maybe that maybe that is what we need to have happen to uh to get the pitchers in line if if they are breaking the rules in fact and maybe they are i just don't think phil cuzzy is the guy to uh, you know i don't i don't think he's very colombo like at all so and I, I just I feel bad about anything that has that takes attention away from what we what we know is the most important thing that's happened this season in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and that is the Cubs getting new light bulbs. <laughs> right. Marquis somehow got three, two nights and one day out of of full game conversation about the fact that the Cubs now have LED light bulbs instead of the old fashioned. Uh, Sylvanius that they had screwed in there. <laughs> right, the incandescent uh, fantastic. To the, to the point where Boog actually said on the broadcast, these lights are so bright, I would think that some people may have tuned in just now and they don't know if this is a night or a day game. Well, it's 9 o'clock at night in Chicago. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, Cub fans are dumb. We, I, we're dumb, but we're not that dumb. We can tell daytime from nighttime. Maybe the, the ones uh, confused people in uh, Honolulu, or right, Guam, Australia. Perhaps. Yeah, like, well, what time is it in there in the in the colonies? Anyone call them the colonies? You're right. Yeah. Anyway, um, does it uh, does it look brighter to you? Because I know it, it, it is it is noticeable. You know, because yeah. uh, Wrigley, once New Yankee Stadium was built, Wrigley was the only park left without lights in the outfield. Right. Although I think it was. It may have been Pat Hughes who was saying, well, you know, but the scoreboards give off a lot of light. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. We can't count on that, Pat. No, especially because, no. you know, like... You, know, you could field that ball by the light of uh, of um, Nico Horner's on-base average. You'll right. be fine. You can catch it right over there in the corner. Well, you never know what you're going to put on those scoreboards, you know, so and it's changing. It's a, Sometimes it's a TV picture or... It's not always the same. Those lights up on the towers, those are constant. Um, But 
for since 1988, Cub games have always looked, night games have looked different from the center field camera because there's always a shadow on the back of the pitcher because there's no light directly hitting the pitcher. You know, you could read this number, but it was always, and that's gone. Like, you, there are no, no more shadows. Is that a, like a, just a, to be nice to the neighborhood? Is that why they didn't put more in? Or was it like a deal with Tunney or whoever the, all of oh, it was in 1988? Maybe it was. But. Oh, yeah. I, I should pull the tape. You go watch the whole uh, interview with Crane Kenny um, where they t- where they talk about all this exciting stuff. No, the the new, there's, fewer, there's fewer lights now. They're just that much brighter. Oh, I see. They pulled like 200 lights out. Actual individual Bolts. fixtures. And they have more. the The new lights are so are so great. Crane got them at a garage sale. <laughs> they need a lot fewer. So here's another thing that they're doing now, which eh, is um, when the, the Cubs won the fir- that first game, the first night game with the new lights. And when they won, they queued up "Go Cubs Go," uh-huh. and the lights started to flash, and the lights make little W's. Oh, right. Yes. yes. And Obvious Shirts just happened to have a Light the W t-shirt ready to go for people to buy. Just happened to. Just happened to have it. It was amazing. But it was funny because in Dodger Stadium, they have this elaborate light thing they do every time the Dodgers hit a homer. And I don't know if you saw <laughs> Max Muncy hit one the other night. Uh-huh. And the uh, light operator got a little excited. And the ball had not, it was, thankfully for the, you know, it was it was a long home run. But the ball had not yet gone over the fence, and the lights in the outfield went off. <laughs> and the outfielders are like, whoa, hey, turn the light. Where did the ball go? It's like it's right. in the, it's, it is in the seats. But that'll be great someday when they screw that up and turn the lights off and the ball hits the wall, and or two outfielders kill each other because they running at each other in the dark. Do you remember in uh, Men in Black when the flying saucer appeared over Shea Stadium and then the ball hit Bernard Gilkey in the face? One of those kind of things will happen. I, I thought that that didn't really happen. I thought that really happened. <laughs> it might. It might have been based on a true story. <laughs> they used actual footage. They didn't need. Yes. We don't even need to look at this. We can put this in the movie. Yeah, let's put that in. But yeah, so and the the Cubs with all that light in their ballpark are. How about this? Not only are the Cubs eleven and six, their run differential of plus thirty nine is the best in the National League. That's pretty good. I They are playing, as I think, as well as um, the team that Jed put together could play. You know yes. what I mean? It's. Right. I, I think it, 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 what's happening should be happening. It's. Uh, I wasn't sure if it would because, you know, sometimes these – Sometimes Dansby turns into Jeff Glauser, you know, in other years. But it's it's not happening this year. Oh, Dansby put a scare in everybody. He had four he hits in the first five innings of a game, and then he was all of a sudden not in the game anymore. And he was, they showed him wincing and holding his side. Turns out he got um, – he had cramps from getting up too early in the morning. <laughs> right. He had gotten up at 4 o'clock in the morning to take his wife, soccer star Mallory Pugh Swanson, right, uh, to get her patella fixed. And it was a long day, and uh, apparently he Dansby not eat. properly hydrated, and right. uh, it ended up really being a cramp, and he he was not hurt. But I we all just assumed he had ripped the oblique off of his body. Right. They see him at the after the All Star break. 
it's fair to assume the worst. Now, part he, of- got some, he got some criticism. I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to criticize a husband and wife no, team, that's, especially. Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's a professional athlete. Yeah. and you Even know, if she's not. Right. If, if your wife has. Yeah. He didn't miss the game. He was right. there. And he got four hits and five innings, and the Cubs were way up. He should have just pretended he didn't. nothing hurt. And then, oh, I just needed a nap. We had this one in the bag. Well, people will criticize other people for anything. We know that. So just do whatever. <laughs> we We're going to get criticized that. for it regardless. Um, one thing I'm sure is completely sustainable for the Cubs is that they uh, they lead the league in uh, batting average with runners in scoring position at 326. Yeah, I, maybe that it won't that might keep not. up all year. Uh, but there are some other impressive things. Now, there are there are three teams in Major League Baseball who currently have more than 20 homers and more than 20 stolen bases. One of them is the Cubs with 21 homers yeah. and 22 stolen bases. Can you name the other two? There is one in each league, and they both play in the Eastern time zone. Uh, is one the Pirates? Yes. 25 homers and 21 stolen bases. Right. That was the harder one. I don't remember the other one. The Orioles. 23 homers oh, and 25 stolen bases. I did. I think I did see that. But. Now, how about this? Do you think there's a team that does not hit double digits in either category? It's probably the White Sox. It's the Nationals. Oh. Eight homers, nine stolen bases. They're in no hurry. No. Nico Horner and the Nationals have nine stolen bases. Patrick Wisdom and the Nationals have eight home <laughs> runs. Right. Yeesh. Um, there's only one team in the National League West that is playing above 500 right now. Uh, yeah, the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks. I didn't predict that, but before the season, I think it was before the season, I uh, I did like what they had going. I like the, the cut of their jib. you know, And they have one of those guys, uh, rookie, Corbin Carroll, Carroll, who's putting some home runs and stealing some bases, and uh, I, I really like Tori Lavulo. He's, uh, you know, he's one of Sparky Anderson's hype guys from the '80s or '90s. You know, this guy's going to be the That's next right. uh, Barbaro Garbay <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but he's taken that positivity and turned it into something useful for himself. So I, I like, uh, you know, a good manager is usually only as good as his players, but I think he's he's got some good players, and uh, I like I like what they have going. I don't know if they're first-place material, but they're they're certainly better. Well, on this very podcast, the last time we did it, you yeah. and I have a very strong recommendation to take the over with the right. Diamondbacks. I think it was only like 83 wins. I, was it that many? I thought it was Maybe like it was even, 78. Well, yeah, it was a throw your money at it. It's too right. late now. Their odds, I'm sure, have you missed your chance. Adjusted Yes. Um, yeah, speaking of, uh, he's got some good, Torrey's got some good players, and he's got Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> who was throwing batting practice to the Cardinals today and got in a mid-at-bat screaming match with uh, former Cub Wilson Contreras, which was uh, a lot of fun. And then uh, Bumgarner, people were like, well, what did he do? And he, and he, his answer was like, wasn't it obvious? <laughs> like, no! No! <laughs> I mean, it was. He was you know, being he, Venezuelan, Madison? I mean, yeah. 
there could be something to that. Yeah, he, people have actually studied who Madison Bumgarner has gotten mad at through the years, yeah. and it, uh, it 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 does run the gamut of let's say ethnicities. But uh, yeah, that, that's sort of the first thing people go to. I thought the the worst thing for poor Wilson was that the Cardinal fans all immediately sided with Madison. <laughs> Yeah, they. You would be shocked to know that just a couple of days ago, before he uh, hit two homers the other night, uh, in in a loss, actually just last night, um, Cardinal fans already off the Wilson Contreras bandwagon. What, how, how are we going to offload this contract? And uh, when's Yachty coming back? Uh, <laughs> our pitching. It was a lot of you know their pitching has struggled because they they don't have a lot of really good pitchers and uh, a lot of what's what's the difference between this year and last year? What's missing? I don't know. You don't have Yachty on your injured list. That's pretty much the only difference between this year and last year. Or he's not off at the uh, Puerto Rican uh, uh, basketball league playoffs. I was going to say the only the only out for for Wilson is going to be is if he if he likes basketball <laughs> enough to buy a team somewhere. That's the only way they're going to get rid of him. Um, yeah, I'm looking at my list of surprises here. I have the Pirates on it at 11 and 5. I didn't see it coming. I mean, it's a surprise to me. Um, Rodolfo yeah. Castillo is tearing the cover off the ball, and I think he was the guy who uh, lost his cell phone going around the bases. I want to say it was last year. Yeah, Maybe it was, it was the, the, that was against the Cubs. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I don't blame a guy for, you know, the, the 2021 Cubs were phoning it in. Why couldn't right. he? <laughs> Oh man, um, and you don't need your phone during games anymore. They go by too quick. There's no time. You don't to have check. time. Nope. Um, they of course got a tough break. No pun intended, or pun intended, when uh, O'Neill Cruz uh, slid into home plate and his ankle went in different directions. Yeah, those are icky injuries. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You got to make up your mind to slide or don't run over the catcher or don't. I mean, chances are, if you run over the catcher these days, you're, you're going to be in the wrong, but yeah, you, he, he got caught in between and uh, that was not pretty. I mentioned that the Cubs lead the nationally with a plus 39 run differential. Uh, part of that is helped by the fact that they just uh, finished up three games against the, uh, I don't even know what they, what would the A's record be if they were in AAA? Probably not a lot better. That's a that's a great horrible question. It's uh, I mean you you know I'm guessing about 500. They probably have a lot of guys in AAA who could come up, and maybe they already have. I don't know. Now Bob Nightingale did the math, and who is who's going to argue with Bob Nightingale's math? Mm-hmm. Oakland is on pace if they can keep it up. To go 26, 136. That's probably 
not going to hold up like the Cubs hitting in with runners in scoring position. But I could see, oh, you know, like a 51, like the Orioles from a couple years ago kind of a thing, a 50 and 112. They're uh, plus minus. They are. They have a minus eighty six run differential. The Rays. Already. Yes, that's the, incredible. The Rays, who won the first thirteen in a row and beat the shit out of everybody, theirs is plus eighty three. Right. Oakland has been worse than the Rays were good. But here's a little uh, for all the Ace fans who listen to this podcast. Here's a little um, silver lining to the start right. of the season. They have yet to play a team who is currently under 500. Well, they're never going to play themselves. No. Well, I don't know. I don't know how the balance schedule works. Is there any inter-squad games? They say they could get it. They could you know, be guaranteed a tie. It's possible you were going to bring this up, but the the most interesting thing about the A's so far is that there's a, a varmint living in the uh, in the visiting, I don't know if it's radio or TV. TV. And uh, apparently they, they I, is it because it's California they can't kill it? I don't know. But he's living there and like teams won't go in there because this big old possum and it's, from what I can tell it looks like it's like two feet long is uh, living in the Oakland Coliseum. I mean, it's not a surprise considering how much that place is flooded and how icky it is that uh, there isn't somebody living in there. But they, they apparently, uh, Gavin Newsom won't let them kill it. <laughs> it could be. Uh, shouldn't they just trap it and make it their mascot? I mean, they had a white elephant. Possum would be cooler. They, if they had any fans, there would be possum T-shirts and the rally possum and all that stuff. And they none of that is happening. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, hey, they they have some people in the bleachers who are pretty crazy. Well, that's true. So maybe, they, maybe it is, and there's they, just not enough of them. Nobody has noticed yet that they're that's true. They possum feet. I mean, they might have, they've driven them mostly away at this point, but. Yes, I would not we blame. See it. I'm just saying somebody's going to make a rally possum shirt or character or something. Yeah, so the Cubs, uh, Rick Sutcliffe and Boog uh, Shambi were – Doing the game from an auxiliary, doing the games this week from an auxiliary, uh, they got plenty of them. There was plenty of empty boxes at Oakland Coliseum, so that wasn't an yeah. issue. <laughs> right, thanks and, to Mount Davis. And the Mets had been in just before that, and right. uh, Gary Cohen and uh, Ron Darling had a long explanation about about the possum, how um, Wayne Randazzo and Mark Gubaza were in the booth. And this is probably why the uh, the Angels radio guys are like, I'm glad we don't travel. They were in the booth for the for the first series in Oakland, and they they ran into the they had a little run in with the possum. But mostly, what they said they ran, they got a run into a possum leavings. The odor oh. in the the odor in the box was very apparent, and uh, so the oh, good people in Oakland moved them, and they have been putting all of the TV teams in the other box yeah i had heard some of boog's play-by-play from the the cubs series and i hadn't put two and two together that he was doing the game from the hotel or whatever because <laughs> the the, uh, the booth was busy but it sounded like why does he sound you know like he's doing a covid remote but uh yeah it was because of that well G- gary cohen gary cohen showed the box they were in and there was 
the reason they don't normally get, have the broadcast teams use it is that there's a pole there's a pole in it and he was right behind the pole <laughs> but he goes he's talking about this. I goes I've done he goes I've done college basketball and the coach is almost always standing right in front of you so you do right. a lot of you do a lot of leaning he's like I'm used to it don't worry about it I can I can handle this I can just I'm mobile I like I'd like to meet him and interview him or at least meet him he seems like a cool guy that that actually Sounds. I mean, he he's obviously making uh, lemonade with the lemons, but that that's a real thing. I, I believe him when he says, "Well, there's a coach in the way I can broadcast yeah. for a cold." I like that. The White Sox, uh, they're not good. No, um, I'm trying to think of something that's gone right. Jake Berger is kind of a fun guy, sort of shaped like a fan or a sports writer, hitting Berger. some home runs. He had a three patty day the other day. We run Homer. Other than that, uh, I can't think of anything good. He hit uh, one of the hardest home runs in the stat. I love everything that was in the stat cast era. Yeah. Uh, Jared Kellenick hit homers in three straight games for the for the Mariners against the Cubs, and he hit one um, up into the second tier of bleachers. You know, over the batter's eye. Yes. And Boog could not believe. That anyone had ever hit the ball that far, it's like okay, boo. Uh, the Cubs had a guy named Sammy Sosa for about a decade who right. was roided Linnell. in the gills, and he was he spent, he hit plenty of balls there. And even, we even pulled the clip from the uh, uh, 2003 NLCS when he hit the shed that they keep the center field camera in. But that was Kellenick was the that was like the old, the longest home run to center in Wrigley in the Statcast era, which is 2015. Well, to the, the Cubs uh, are always looking for reasons to ignore that Sammy mm-hmm. Sosa existed. So there's another one. Right. We can't put him in the Utility Tunnel Hall of Fame. He didn't play in the Statcast era. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or in, he didn't hit any home runs in the Statcast era. None. Okay. How many did Ernie Banks hit? Um. But yeah, so uh, how about this? If the playoffs started today, it would be pure chaos because it's April and no one would know what they run. Rob is going to try it. I'm warning you. In the Not American so League, you're, the two teams with the buys would be the Rays and the Texas Rangers. Yeah. How about that? Despite getting losing two of three to the mighty Cubs, they still would have the second best record in the American League. And how about this for your wild card matchups? Toronto would be at Baltimore, and Shohei Otani and Mike Trout would be oh, in. at Minnesota by percentage Lost points. The season. They would be the they would be the fourth wild card team, and they would be going to Minnesota to play two games and then go home for the rest. Of the <laughs> yeah, as long as the Twins don't have to play the Yankees in the postseason, they're going to be fine. Yep. That seems to be kryptonite for them. They won the opener of a series against the Yankees this year, and there were people talking about how they're, they've, they've exercised the demons of Yankee Stadium. Yes. I don't think winning one regular season game counts. I'm sorry, guys. It's progress, but I don't think it, it's exercised it. In the National League, your teams with the buys would be uh, the Atlanta Braves and the Milwaukee Braves. I mean, the Milwaukee Brewers. And your where wild card Uchers, matchups. Uh, where are Bob Euchre's, uh loyalties yeah oh he would just he would just do the uh he could just switch booths every half inning right as long as there isn't a possum (laughs) 
Uh, they would just feed the possum curds until he exploded. In the <laughs> right. Or he looked like Rowdy Telez, one or the other. Um, your wild card matchups, if, if the playoffs start today in the National League, the Miami Marlins would be in Arizona to play the, the NL West champions, the D-backs. Right. And a rematch of uh, one of my of my favorite wild card game of all time would be the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Chicago Cubs. Oh yeah. So I'm sure that's all going to hold up. Boy, that's quite a National League playoff field: Atlanta, Milwaukee, <laughs> Arizona, Miami, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. Hey, the Cubs are a big market. So. Yeah, that would be the one saving grace for uh, for Fox would be the Cubs. Course, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no Yankees in the American League right now either. So, Tampa, Dallas, Minneapolis, St. Paul, LA, but nobody pays attention to the Angels, Baltimore, and Canada. <laughs> it's, a, it's a country. Uh, John Greenberg agrees with me on this. We, we love uh, TV sports ratings talk. Right, like a guy like Richard Deitch or uh, John Orand or somebody will make a huge deal out of it. Like they'll breathlessly talk about the Super Bowl ratings, and then it's a race to Twitter to see if John or I can get to it first and be like, "Oh, so they're they're still going to have a Super Bowl next year? The ratings were high enough; they're not going to cancel it." You guys, uh, Deitch is, uh, <laughs> you know, he lives in Toronto now, but he still basically claims that um, when there's a Canadian team in the in the playoffs in any of the um, in any of the North American sports uh, like networks don't know how to calculate the ratings mm. so it's like it's basically a zero no matter who they play <laughs> but, um, at least I think at least half the fans right were Americans watching it and with AFU. the exchange rate it's got to be 80 85 percent anyway also don't 80 percent of Canadians live within like 40 miles of the US border Right. That's so they why don't they're watch so American cool. TV. They watch American ads. They buy American products. I think we maybe right. could figure that out and they stop like the freaking build. people out. They go to Mariners games. I hear about it all the time. So speaking of TV, Sunday is the return of uh, one of my favorite uh, cash grabs. The uh, what do they call it? Sunday leadoff, which is that mm. early morning Sunday game on Peacock, which mostly I don't think anyone has ever watched one of those games when it starts. Right. It's always somebody looks down on Twitter and is like, "Wait a minute, they're they're playing now on what?" Right. And they don't nobody gets there to like the fifth inning, and then they're like, "Oh, here it is, I found it, and it's buffering." But uh, like that Patriots Day game with the Red Sox, it's like, "Oh, you know, I knew it was on at nine a.m. I just." Well, and I actually remembered it was on, put it on, rain delay. Yeah. So. And then I forgot about it. So last year, um, the uh, the lead announcer for this was was the great Jason Benetti. And Benetti is now off uh, to Fox. And um, he's not doing this anymore. Although he was at ESPN before, he must have had some kind of agreement. So they have replaced him with a hockey announcer. Brendan Burke. Oh. Uh, but he can't do all the... Um, he can't do some of the early games because uh, he is... What is he? He's the Maple Leafs announcer, I think? 
and they're in mm. the, they're in the playoffs until they get bounced, you know, in a few days. So, um, a voice familiar to Chicago, at least hockey fans, Chris Vosters is going to fill in. He's going to do a couple of games, and Matt Vasgersian oh. is actually going to do um, the season opener this Sunday, which is a barn burner. You're going to want to set your alarm to get up for Rockies at Phillies. Oh man! But it's not that early. Wait in like 2008. It's an 11:05 p.m. start Central Time. 11:05 a.m. A.m. Yeah. Uh, in a couple of weeks, then they get into their uh, 10:30 starts. Uh, Cub fans will note that the game a week from Sunday, April 30th, the Cubs at Marlins is an 11 o'clock start. So, mm-hmm. uh, so there you go. I don't know why that always. Uh, excites me but uh, I've said before games can't start early enough I'm old I like to get up I like to get like, get an entire baseball in game in by during breakfast and then I have the rest of my day to do whatever I want hey if people can to do it can do it for Formula One and the Premier League and I do, do I do both of those things yes um I think part of my dislike for Sunday night baseball it's not just not just the announcers over the years. Actually, it's not even really the announcers. It's the way ESPN tries to, like, make it an event. Yeah. It's like, guys, this is like the 15th game I've watched this week. Just do it like a normal baseball game. But um, is when I was writing for The Athletic, I my column was Monday mornings. When the Cubs were on, that meant I couldn't finish writing the thing in case something exciting happened during the Sunday night game that had to be in there. So it always pissed me off. So even now when I'm, uh, you know, and I still, I, I assigned myself a Monday morning column when I could have done it any day I wanted. I always write a Monday column for the newsletter. Uh, same thing. It's like, I just get the damn game over with. But now with the, it starts an hour earlier. It's at 6 now. And it's 6.10, I think, instead of 7. And the games only take like 45 minutes because the umps are enforcing the speed up rules so much. I just I have nothing to worry about. Right. Um, but one of the things that it's, it happens in different forms in different broadcasts, the regional sports networks, most of them do these awkward manager interviews during games, which are right. worthless, basically. I don't know why they do them. You, you don't get any insight. Um, and they're always uncomfortable because inevitably something happens and the manager is like, I'd like to go do my real job now instead of talking to you. Except for oh. David Ross. David Ross always seems to have plenty of time for Boog and JD. Hey, what happened down there, Rusty? What? I don't know. I was talking to you. I wasn't paying attention. Um, but on Sunday Night Baseball, they mic up the players. And uh, Andrew Marchand from the New York Post, I don't know if he broke the news or just finally reported it, they're paying those players $10,000 to chat with Carl Ravitch, David Cohn, and Eduardo Perez during games. It's uh, it's funny that they, uh, but that's enough. You think maybe it would cost more? I, I don't like them. Um, I, I don't care that they're getting paid. I'm with you. I would think that for the 
the inconvenience of having to do that while you were trying to do your job. You would want more money. But I just, as a fan, I, I very seldom think they're ever worth anything. And they always act like if the guy, if, if it's always when the, obviously when it's when the guy's in the field, and they always act like it's just the craziest thing ever if he has to go field a ball while he's got the microphone on. Right. It's like, isn't that what we're going for here? Right. Um, They're turned on by the hyperventilation of chasing the ball into the corner. Now, I'm not against miking players. I like when they mic a player and then they do a cut-up after the game of him talking to the other players and say whatever. I I enjoy those. The interviews are always stilted. And and the thing that really annoys me about the ESPN ones is they've been doing it now for the third year. Or maybe it's just the second year for Carl. Ravitch always asks like 400 word, six part questions. Right. To a guy standing in the middle of the field who could barely hear him because, you know, I mean, there's crowd noise and other stuff right. and can't follow what the hell his question was. Right. It's like, you got to be a little quicker than that, Carl. And if you can't as I be. Have said before, as I have said before about doing interviews, because sometimes I ask questions of players. And sometimes, you know, I, I realize after the fact that was way too long of a question. I put myself in the player's position, and it's like, sometimes I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they answer simple questions or contrived questions or, or anything. It's, I hate being put on the spot myself. It's, uh, and this is, it's not like, I'm not, not talking to you so much. It's, but <laughs> it's, uh, I just mean, like if my kids ask me something about the game or an interview, it's hard for me to remember like facts and things. Yeah. I, I I don't know how these guys do it. I don't. And even good questions, I I can't understand how how the brain works and and how they're able to answer things on the spot. You know, in, in a clubhouse setting, sometimes much less. Out- the field like you said when they're trying to do their jobs it's uh it's, it's painful once in a while you strike gold but i agree with you that the uh those those edited um sound bites are, are much better after the fact and maybe they should just go with that yeah for free mills can be fun and then if you get a dud like uh early in the year the cubs are in spring training the cubs mic'd up patrick wisdom he had nothing to say right they ran like they somehow tried to turn it into a two-minute segment of mostly dead air and him clapping. And it's like, okay, you guys, you, were you afraid to hurt Patrick's feelings and say, sorry, we didn't get anything usable? Because you didn't. Right. Because it's marquee. They have time to kill. They'll air anything. They don't care. They've got a commercial that they run um, during their interminable pre- and post-game. And I, know, I, I refuse to watch the pre- and post-game on marquee, at least with the sound up. Sometimes I'll have it on the second TV <laughs> down here so I can keep an eye, you know, especially the pre-game, so that when the game actually starts... I can flip it over to the bigger TV. Yeah. But you'll see these commercials, and they have this one, I don't know even what it's for. It's like, for, I think it's for like old person life insurance, you know, the without a physical. Um, you can get a million dollars worth of life insurance. It'll only cost you $40,000 a month. Right. But it's it's basically infomercial length. The thing is like five minutes long. And you look <laughs> up, and I'll be like, am I on the right channel still? Is this a show? I thought it was the pregame show. So they'll they'll air anything. They don't. They don't care. You, know, you are an actual good interviewer. You know, you're, we know that from the Answer Dave uh, column that you used to write. 
And one of the things that the good interviewers don't do is they don't answer the question. Try to sound like a smart guy and answer the question for the player as they ask it. Yeah. You hear that a lot. Or where they'll, they'll ask what they think is a tough question, but they'll kind of lead them to a safe answer. Right. Um, one of the things I've done is had to coach people who don't typically do interviews, give them some tips. And I liked, I, I, for the longest time, I used Chris Bryant as an example of what not to do. Uh-huh. Chris Bryant starts the answer to almost every question with yes. It's just like a nervous thing he does. Right. And so then he'll get asked some like controversial, like, he got asked questions about the whole Addison Russell thing. Right. And he's starting them all with yes, because he doesn't even know he's saying it. He's like, you know, so uh, do you think Addison's getting the shaft? Yes. I mean, what he did is terrible. And he should get punished. For- Why did you say right. yes? I did? You know, it's like... <laughs> That's a relatively intelligent person, but with a Nazis aren't so bad, right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're awful. What did I say? Uh, uh, so we we talked a little bit already about the pitch clock, but um, I want to talk about. Uh, I turned it into part of a. Actually, it was going to be the entire column on Tuesday. Theo Epstein had been on uh, the Starkville podcast with Jason Stark and Doug Glanville, and he was talking about all the rules changes and how they're going and what might be coming down the pike and all that stuff. But it only ended up being half the column because while I was writing it, I was watching the the Cubs, and Rick Sutcliffe was on all fours just (laughs) taking whatever the Cubs would give him. He He could not have been more excited about the Cubs and the greatest team ever. And he's making these, the, he literally legitimately did this, which just cracked me up. They, uh, he must've asked for a replay, you know, get to turn the old, hit the old uh-huh. uh, cough button. And say, when he can we get a shot of that, uh, Patrick wisdom was on first base. And I believe it was Cody Bellinger hit a fly ball, uh, to center field that it, you couldn't tell if the ace center field was going to be able to catch it or not. And Rick was so impressed because hold your brace yourself right now. Just, and you at home listening, Grab on to something. This is what Patrick Wisdom did. He ran halfway, and he stopped so that he was close enough to second if the ball fell in that he could get to second. And if it, if it got caught, he could get back to first base. Yeah. And Rick thought that was, like, the greatest base running thing he'd ever seen in his life. It's like, Rick, they teach little leaguers to do that. Right. Just calm down. He also did this, and I think people think I was exaggerating. I, they were talking about Nick Madrigal. He's a huge Nick Madrigal fan, as, as yeah. so am I. And um, <laughs> Nick was playing third base for some reason. And uh, there was a ball hit, a good five-feet foul. And Nick ran over, not particularly hard, Nick ran over and backhanded it to give it to the ump. And Rick couldn't believe the range. <laughs> and you're just like, come on, buddy. And so I looked it up. He played 18 years in the major leagues. He won a Cy Young. He almost won two. He pitched in. He pitched in two NLCSs for the Cubs. Um, he was. A, he was. A, he was one of the best pitchers in the 1980s. Yeah. And now he's doing it, and you would think he never saw a baseball game before. <laughs> like everything is just. It's. It's just. He's just enraptured with everything. But the funny thing is that people are like, they're like, you lay off of him. The Cubs have a good team and he's enjoying it. And it's like, okay. He was doing this stuff last year, too, when they didn't yeah. have a good team. And he was bragging about, um, and he did it a little bit today. <laughs> Somehow Alfonso Rivas, his name came up. And he's like, oh, you know, that guy, 
boy, he had a great eye. He could really get on base. Well, he had a 311 on base average last year, Rick. I, I don't think I don't think that counts. But um, he was doing the same thing on one of the West Coast trips. He was filling in, and um, <laughs> he was telling how great it was. But the Cubs made the mistake of putting Ildemaro Vargas into the game, and Ildemaro uh, made a couple of bad plays right in a row. And Rick turned on poor Ildemaro, oh, and uh, as Pollyanna as he'd been about every other Cub, he had just had it with Ildemaro, and Ildemaro got a case of Rick Sutcliffe red ass for the next two hours, which was very entertaining. I really did enjoy <laughs> that. I'm like, see, you got it in you. Just break it out once in a while. Uh, but anyway, so I was going to write up the thing about Theo, and I did. I, I wrote uh, some of the stuff. But one of the things that he talked about in that podcast that I found strange, I want to ask you about it, is it, it kind of, I think, was sparked by that at bat you talked about, the World Baseball Classic at bat between Shohei and Trout, and people yeah. worrying about what if something like what if we get to a huge moment in the World Series and it gets rushed because of this pitch clock stuff? Right. So he got asked by Jason Stark, "Is there any talk about not having the pitch clock in the postseason?" And Theo didn't say no, but he also didn't say yes. He basically, said, oh, yeah. you know, we'll keep an eye on everything. But to me, that would just be perfect baseball. Right, the MLB at its finest, which is here's this thing that fans universally applaud, and now you get to the postseason when you're going to get even more people watching, and you just get rid of it. Right. Yeah. Hey, we're going to slow everything down for you again. Do you like that? No. Well, I don't know where you'll fall on this, but I saw something the other day where in in a minor league they're talking about taking away a team's DH experimenting with a rule and, uh, and you know, the team loses the DH if the pitcher doesn't go five innings, yep. something we we remember the stipulation when they were talking about changing the major league rule as that being a possible yep. thing. And uh, so it's like, you know, we, for those of us who didn't necessarily like to see the pitchers hit, they finally get rid of it. And now they're talking about putting it back where, you would lose the uh, so sort of in line with what you're saying about changing something that I think is good about baseball that they got rid of it. Even though I did like, I would have been fine, I guess, with having the with no DH in the National League just because it's different and that's yeah. what I grew up with. I would have been okay with it, but it sort of made sense to get rid of it based on how the pitchers were hitting. And now they're talking about well. Maybe we don't need to have a DH anymore for an entire game. It's just, you know, cutting off their nose to spite their face again. Well, that whole that whole idea, I got kicked around a few years ago, and it was originally it was going to be your DH could only stay in the game as long as your starting pitcher, regardless of. Yeah. So, like, even if your starter went seven, now you mm-hmm. get down to the to the crucial part of the game, and your DH is gone. And they say, right. okay, that's guys don't go nine anymore. That's not. That's just not very realistic. So that's where they came up with the – they want to test it with the five-inning thing. Right. And that, I think, is a reaction to try to get rid of the opener. Basically tell teams, yeah, if you want to start a reliever, that's fine, but your your bench better be ready to go because every time the pitcher spot rolls around, you're either going to have a reliever bat or you're going to have to use a pinch hitter. Right. Um, but then that's – it's the Atlantic League, and they're also talking about a uh, the good old courtesy runner. Like they used to yes. have for chubby catchers back in Little League. Um, and this would be you could use it one time in the game. You could pinch run for any player. 
And as long as you determine that you tell the up, this is the the pinch runner, or the courtesy runner, whatever they're going to call it, the Manford runner, which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> then, at the conclusion of his trip around the bases, he goes back to the bench and he's able to be used again as a pinch hitter or a defensive replacement. Right. And the and the player that he ran for is still in the game. It's literally yes. a courtesy runner. It's not. Um, and obviously it makes I, – I think the part of it I wasn't clear on until I read was if you actually burn the runner. Of course, you don't burn the player. That wouldn't – nobody would do it. That's just a pinch runner. But both right. guys are still available to be used after that. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, be like that old – who was the old Oakland A who – he was the, the – Yeah, the 70s version, 60s and 70s version of Terrence Gore. Yes. Yes. And I, Never had an at that, I don't think. Uh, Cup fans remember that Terrence got one in the playoffs. He got a full count, and everybody yelled, just don't swing. Don't swing. And he swung and he struck out. Right. The funny thing about Terrence Gore was, because Joe put him in way too early, it was a wild card game against the Rockies. Um, He, it, it was, nobody could score, especially the Cubs. Rizzo got on, I think, in the seventh, maybe even the, yeah, I think it was the seventh, and he ran Gore for him, and then he left Gore in the game, and, and Terrence went out to play left field, and Terrence didn't like that at all. He right. basically stood on the warning track and just prayed that the ball didn't get hit to him. He did have to catch a ball, and he did catch it, but they right. kept the ESPN kept showing him. They, they were obsessed with how scared he was yeah. to be in left field. It's like, oh God, <laughs> are you? You're you're not a baseball player. You're not. You don't get at bats, and you don't play in the field. You're literally right. just a track guy with a baseball uniform on. But yeah, I. Um, I think they. I'm I'm fine with them considering rule changes, but um, you know, he did a good job this year. Let's not push it. Let's not just change him to keep. Ooh, that was great. Let's do some more. Um, the one, it's not even a rule change. It's an equipment change that I agree with. And Jim Deshays brings it up every time there's a close play at first base. Yeah. And that's the, they should have, Major League Baseball should have the safety base. If for no other reason, then runners wouldn't have to run out of the baseline to get to first base. It's so weird that, uh, that they have to. It's so, they should have just put it in a long time ago. And I almost wonder if the reason they don't do it is for aesthetics because in yeah. order for it to work, the the part of the base that's in foul territory has to be a different color. Orange. So that it orange. So that if the ball hits it, the ump can tell. Because if the right. ball hits that part of the base, it's foul. And if the ball hits so I think that's part of it. It's like, oh, you know, we're not gonna be able to do that. It's like, well uh, I don't know. The other one that I've I've, I've talked about it forever. The, the the replay thing that is kind of universally hated is the whole reviewing whether a guy's foot left the bag by a quarter of an inch while the second baseman or shortstop still had the yeah. tag on. And I have a, what I think is a pretty simple solution for that, which is that play is not reviewable. <laughs> right. The umpire, if he called him out, he's out. If he called him safe, he's safe. And you can't review it. They do it. I mean, there's lots of stuff that isn't reviewable. Yep. That should be one of them. Um. Oh, another thing that Sutcliffe loved. 
I'd never seen this before. Um, but I had the same... Uh, when I first saw what was happening, I drew the same conclusion that Rick Sutcliffe did. So yeah. Trey Mancini of the third is struggling mightily. Um, and in last night's... Or in, I say last night, people listen to the podcast. So in, um, in Tuesday night's game against Oakland, where the Cubs were... Um, or maybe it was Monday night. Anyway, they were drubbing the A's one of the nights. They were drubbing the A's. Uh, Trey was going over while all of his friends were running around the bases and having fun. And he had a foul ball down the third baseline that was fouled by about a foot. And David Ross challenged it. And I remember thinking, he's just challenging it to, like, he's throwing Trey a bone. Right. And Rick was like, this is brilliant. Oh, my God, this is brilliant. Even if it doesn't get overturned, like, well, it's not because even live we could see there was like a foot of grass between the ball and the line. He's like, right. this is a message he's sending to Trey, which is, I got your back. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I think the message he's sending is, we don't think you can get a hit for real. So maybe we could steal one for you. How's that? It all depends on what, how Trey is feeling about himself in the moment. <laughs> yeah. You know how uh, there are, it started with, with, the great Luis Valbuena, but there's lots of players now who will, um, batters, who will do a check swing, and they will appeal themselves. Right. Um, I think it would be funny if Trey hit it and gave the, like, gave the move on sign to, to mm-hmm. the dugout. No, don't review that. No, don't review it. It's foul. I don't want to know. Is that the move on sign? It's very much like a home run. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. And then the, <laughs> I love the earmuffs is the review. Yeah. Go to review, yes. <laughs> I think that's a headset, not earmuffs, but yes, funny. No, it's like from old school when they're going to swear in front of the kid. All right, earmuffs. <laughs> Actually, that would have been great. Mark Kotze okay. should have come out today before he was going to argue, and he should have given the earmuffs sign to the to the fans. <laughs> I'm about to say something naughty. Earmuffs. Yeah, that's and fucking for the, bullshit. The truck, so they can put them on delay. Yeah, right. So there's that. Which is fun. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Um, I got in. Well, I didn't get an argument because I'm I'm a big I'm a big man. I, I let it go. Uh, I have made the case often in the off season that I like the fact that the Cubs signed Cody Bellinger. I thought it was ridiculous that they gave him a one year contract, and we've talked yeah. about it on this podcast about how basically if you're confident you can get something out of this guy. What you're giving him is value. You're giving him something of value, which is we're going to turn your right. career back around. You got to sign was for two years. We're going to turn it around, then we're going to get another year out of it, and then you can go cash in. You could do whatever you want. And of course, him and his his agent, super agent Scott Boris, were like, "Ah, we just want one year. We were going to cash in next year." And the Cubs are like, "Okay." Um, <laughs> it's really early, but he looks uh, he looks like the old Cody Bellinger, at least for now. Who knows? He may be an overly aggressive high five over the weekend, and he's well, back right. to nothing. Let's watch uh, that. But there were fans who were like, we wouldn't have signed otherwise. It's like, well, then they shouldn't have signed him. Yeah. You know, you're looking for, you know, the, the, this is a Cub team, which is it's a lot more fun to watch because they're actually kind of good. Um, but it's a weird mix of, like, one-year rentals on top of, and actually none of the prospects are really, it's just, it's just like a limbo year. Right. You know, where there's very few guys who are on this team that are really part of the long-term future. There's more now with the Grady and Hap contract extension and stuff. But there's just a small core of guys. There's a bunch of guys who are just going to be gone. 
And Cody's one of those guys, unfortunately, because I don't think there's any chance that if he has a good year, the Cubs are going to want to pony up and they're going, oh, no, no, we got Pete Crow Armstrong. We already got the other guys. Um, but, you know, I, I want him to do well. He's on the team I root for. But every time he does something, I think, yeah, that's great. He's going to be gone. <laughs> Glad we could help turn you around. Um, and I think part of it, it, part of it, I think the calculus for the Cubs was, most of it was, oh, we don't have to pay him. But part of it was, see, we'll prove we could do this. And then we'll become the place where play, players right. go, like, oh, we're going to fix you. And we're just going to have a constant stream of this. And it was very reminiscent of, for a while, the Cubs were the team that the kind of <clears throat> middling starting pitcher w- would come to and they would make, w- like, one one adjustment and the guy would yeah. become productive and get a big contract somewhere else. And they did it with guys who were not exactly, you know, Paul Mahalam. He was like the first guy they did it with. He'd been pretty good. Cubs tweaked a couple of things. He had a good year. He got a nice contract. He disappeared into the, you know, wherever. Right. They did it with Scott Feldman, which turned out great for them because they turned him into Jake Carrier and Pedro Strope. Right. Now they did it with Jason Hamill. And then they pushed their luck, and they brought Jason back. Right. And then I told I wrote I wrote about this in the newsletter. That it it kind it ended for two reasons. Number one, Brett Anderson um, right. signed, and the the whole change. This was back before the pitch lab. <coughs> this was Chris Bazio magic, where Boz yeah. would look at him, Bazio. and he'd be okay. like, and so he looked at Anderson, and he said, you know, you you land on your you land on your front foot wrong. And it literally makes your head, like, go, and you don't finish your breaking pitches. And he didn't used to do that. So we're going to fix that. So they were softening his landing on his front foot. And he didn't like it. He didn't pitch well. And the Cubs ended up releasing him. He had an 8-10 ERA for him. And he basically threw a fit and said the Cubs were trying to ruin him and blah, 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 blah. And it was like three years later he went to Oakland and had a good year. And the way they turned him around was they had him land soft on his front foot. But Basio got launched, and the Cubs turned into this, oh, we got the pitch lap. The, our magic cameras will, you know. And I kind of feel like this is the whole thing they're trying to do with Cody, which is we'll prove to other guys that we can salvage their careers. Then we'll just have this constant stream of under market, like one yes. big bat every year, which would be great if you could do it. But you know what would be better? If you actually turn those guys around and you kept some of them. <laughs> It does sound like some of the crane would would be spitballing in a meeting. That that undervalue. Yes. Well, the, and the one last thing I guess then we can go is um, <laughs> the, the Cubs. Uh, it. I have I have not been all that excited about an Ian Happ extension, for the simple fact that I feel like Ian is a pretty good player, but not a really good player, and I am. Heartened, I guess, by the fact that since he got his extension, he's played very well. Like, he's, yeah, you know, that's good. Um, now that we're stuck with him, he might as well produce. But um, when they got through spring training and they hadn't worked out a deal, I'm thinking, ooh, dodged a bullet there. Because, you know, if your aspirations are to turn this back into a World Series team, you're going to need to get more out of left field than Ian Happ can give you. So, God bless him. Let him go out on the market after everybody tries to throw money at Shohei and only one team gets it. He'll get some residual cash. Yeah. But anyway, all of a sudden, news came out of nowhere that Cubs and Ian were close to getting a, a deal. 
and then they signed him to a three-year contract extension. I just love how short the Cubs extensions are, and they're so excited about it. <laughs> right. um, but that ended. That, that, I think for the Cubs, that's that's a really good deal. Mm-hmm. You only you didn't have to give him five or six years. You only had to give him three. Um, but the way they announced it cracked me up. So this is all happening. The Cubs have a day game. This is, word is getting out around noon. Uh, you know, obviously Cubs start at one twenty. So Ian runs out to the field for the first time, and they on the video board they put up a big message that congratulations, Ian Happ signed a three-year extension. And the fans in left field, you know, were like, "Hey!" You know, they stood up, they gave him a little, you know, whatever. While Marquis doubled down for his first at bat. Mm-hmm. They gave him the whole treatment where they they turned, they had Boog and JD lay out. They turned up the field mic. They isolated the PA announcer. You know, now batting number eight, Ian Happ. And nothing. He got like four <laughs> guys. Um, but the reason I bring this up now is that it just happened to be, that was day three of... Uh, Celebrating the new lights, the new light bulbs. Uh-huh. So Ian gets his, his at bat, uh, gra- almost grounds into a double play, beats it out. Um, everybody's very excited. Top of the second, they come back. Crane Kenny sitting in the booth with Boog and JD to, to talk lights. Very yeah. exciting. <clears throat> so they ask him about the Ian Happ extension. And I'm thinking, why are you asking Crane? Right? He's the business guy. Right. Don't encourage him. He likes to try to act like he has player you know, acquisition. He doesn't. And so, in a very crane way, says, "Well, I think it's you know, it's, it's we're very excited to have Ian back. He's a great corporate partner." <laughs> Say, "Oh, Fox, for fuck's sake!" Yeah, he's got his coffee and okay, Crane, thanks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, look at the time. You got to go. Oh, I just got here. Never mind. Of course, the thing you have to realize when Boog and JD are interviewing Crane. They're, or they're effectively interviewing their boss. Now, he's the right. boss's boss because they report to the marquee guys, but he's over all that stuff. So they do have to be nice to him, nicer than I would be. But correct me up that, of course, Crane would immediately say, Ian's a corporate partner. Yeah, do we, uh, the left fielder. I'm not sure how the obvious shirts work. Could we get an obvious shirt that says something to that effect for Ian? <laughs> great corporate Ian, partner. Ian F is a great corporate partner. You could. <laughs> Uh, I think their only Ian Happ shirt right now is Ian Happ makes my coffee. Mm. Which, there's a lot of obvious shirts that I just can't imagine anybody buys. Right. And that's one of them. But I've seen people in them, which is like, really? Yeah. I guess Joe understands his business better than I do, but there's a lot of shit that he prints that I I imagine that <clears throat> when there's an earthquake in Guatemala... Next time they show the beach there, its kids are going to be in their Ian Hat makes my coffee shirts. So, yeah. all right. Well, yeah. it's glad to have baseball back underway. Um, for those of us who are Cub fans, it's it's very nice to have a team that's not getting their ass kicked every day. Sure. That's always good to talk to you. Same so, here. Well, thanks, thanks Andy. Many of us have herpes. 